0: Welcome to the Superhero Movie Club. I'm Michael Maurer. I'm James Skyler Houtsma. And this week's topic, we're going to be covering The Amazing Spider-Man 2. I can feel it in the walls.
1: I feel it in my veins. No matter what you do, Doc, you can't contain
2: it. You want to know how powerful I am? am I?
0: In the Superhero Movie Club, we look at comic book movies from modern to old, where they began, how much they cost, the final product, and the future. Yes, yes, yes. yes, The future? The
2: future.
0: The future. The future. So it's Amazing Spider Man 2 this week. Last time we did Guardians of the Galaxy for our inaugural podcast. So this week we were going to discuss. What is arguably Skylar's favorite superhero film? Oh, you got me.
2: You got me there, yeah. Although, you know... Oh, you
0: think we were joking. <laughs> Skylar? lay it on them.
2: All right, so I kind of land in the, the camp of things that actually think this movie is fun. It's certainly not good. I would never argue that. Everything from, like, the story, the character motivations and all that crap is a damn mess. It's undeniable, but... There are some movies out there that I just that are messy, but I find them really fun. This is one of them. Like The Room? Uh, like The Room, yes. Like Sharknado? Sharknado, Pirates 3. So if
0: this all falls under the roof of Sharknado, The Room, stuff like that?
2: I wouldn't classify it as that big a disaster because, you know, despite its awful, unfocused storyline that didn't seem like anyone was really trying to find one solid story to build off of, I find that the the cast is still really great. Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone are electrifying, electrifying. on screen. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously there's no problem with special effects, spectacle, all that fun stuff. It's probably got the best score of any Spider-Man film yet. And going to rag on Danny Elfman? I'm not going to rag on Danny Elfman or, or put down what he's done, but I just find this so much more approachable from Hans Zimmer and and crew. And I also think that the Spider-Man sequences themselves are probably the best, most energetic, fun-to-watch portrayal of Spider-Man on screen yet. It's just a shame that they had to be in a movie that's so unfocused.
0: So yeah, I'm gonna go with this movie sucked a lot in my non-professional opinion because, like Skyward, you said before, I need to focus... On what the characters are doing. And I need to. The pacing needs to set it up nice for me. Visuals are nice. They are pretty. The score. Yes. The score is beautiful. But when Gwen Stacy is obviously foreshadowing her death. In an acceptance speech for high school. While at the same time. Peter's doing some crazy stuff. And. I have to listen to Paul Giamatti not understand that he's not in a comic book and scream Russian so much, crazy Russian. I don't even know what he was saying. I get, I fell out of the film a lot. I fell out of, and I just wondered, like, who thought this was an okay idea? As well as, they are diving halfway into every single character, and it's so unsatisfying. You get half of what Goblin is. You get the beginning... There's no middle, and you skip right to the final product. You get part of what Electro is. Same thing. There's this weird Spider Man obsession with Jamie Foxx's character, and then suddenly, instead, he has these miraculous manipulating energy powers. And instead of solving the energy crisis and becoming the most well liked person in the world, vengeance and destruction because he's probably insane. I think they did sort of underlie that a bit.
2: Yeah, very much, you know, an inferiority complex going on there.
0: I will admit, I was highly invested in the Garfield-Emma Stone relationship. That stuff was on lock. That was some good stuff. Mm-hmm.
2: So, kapow, money. Money. Well, in comparison to Amazing Spider-Man 1, this one was given a much bigger budget, as you can pretty much see on screen. Uh, this The budget for... ASM two was around two hundred million, and the rumored marketing sum was an additional one hundred and eighty to one hundred and ninety million. So they, almo- I don't know where you find those numbers. I've always looked for marketing numbers because they don't really post them. <laughs> but so yes, an obscene two hundred million dollars on production, and almost that on marketing, and they're clearly going for the. Uh, idea that the more money you throw on screen or at marketing, the more it's going to pay off. And it didn't really pay off in that.
0: Obviously didn't take a lesson from John Carter.
2: No, no kidding. But here's how that shook out. As of November, you know, six months after the movie came out, it's currently sitting at $708 worldwide. It was the second highest grossing superhero movie this year behind Captain America. It's since been passed by Both of them have been passed by Guardians. So seven hundred million worldwide, just over two hundred million in the US. And you know, that's 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 heavily leading towards foreign.
0: That's you're saying five hundred went to foreign and two hundred went to domestic? Absolutely, yeah.
2: Spider Man's a big deal. Spider Man should be a big deal, but I don't know, ever since Spider Man two it's just been no, sorry, three. Three made a lot of money.
0: Three Every, made a that has three hasn't made the most money.
2: No, three is behind the original as far as most U.S. money. But um, all right, two hundred million in general is nothing to shake your head at. But in, as far as like Spider-Man grosses, it's currently sitting as the lowest grossing Spider-Man movie ever in domestic, domestic and and foreign and foreign. Oh my goodness, that yeah. is pretty bad. So it made a lot of money. It's still in the top 10 of the year, but it's, it's easily classified as an underperformer. Not a bomb. Not a bomb. Underperformer.
0: Now let's compare some of the plot points of the movie compared to where they got their roots in the comic book. Now there are multiple key, actually too many plot points. You have the birth of Goblin from, ha- from Norman to Harry, which we've seen before.
2: Not quite the, in the same vein, but ser- we have seen the Goblin storyline. And the transition. We've
0: still seen the transition, too, where albeit, there's two
2: Goblins. Albeit over two,
0: three movies. Yes, instead of one. Yes. Now, this time we also have The Birth of Electro, or Max Dillon, or Jamie Foxx. Interchangeable. Uh, yes.
2: And we also have The Death of Gwen Stacy. Uh, in addition to that, we have... The plot point they're following up on from the first movie with Peter's parents, you know, the whole mystery of why they disappeared as well. Then you got some side notes about Aunt May, who's resenting Peter for... That
0: weird Aunt May side plot where she decides to become a nurse, and I don't know how it benefits the story at all.
2: Right. And then there's something going on like with Oscorp where Harry's being pushed out by the... The creepy old people that were there's always charge.
0: a board that doesn't want a character that has a name
2: yeah exactly
0: and then finally rhino and yeah we it's... might just ignore rhino altogether
2: he's well, just bookends to the movie really. he was
0: so yeah he was the beginning point and the end point of the film and it was in terrible terrible ways
2: i couldn't do it <laughs> i couldn't i couldn't I'm, get into a rhino scene i'm going to provide a counterpoint to that in that I wouldn't want to see Rhino in any greater uh, form than just 10 minutes in the film because he's such a weak villain. I don't know. I can't see any development being dropped on him. Doesn't mean he needs to be a complete cartoon. So
0: let's start at the first point then, the parents, because they opened the film. Right. So jumping off from where the parents left off in the first film, they mysteriously left Peter and now they're seen on a plane and there's some dude murders the pilot, and now they have to fight for their life because he's downloading a file somewhere. We don't know what the file is. Does it, what was the
2: file's name? I don't even remember. I just remember, like, every three minutes, they'd be like, Roosevelt. Oh, yes. Roosevelt. (laughs) Roosevelt, make sure it's downloading. This is clearly taking precedence.
0: From the comic books, Richard and Mary Parker have a garbled, 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 garbled history. They are S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, which is interesting to the point that Sony does not own the rights to S.H.I.E.L.D. in movie format. Therefore, they're members of the CIA, which, interchangeable, they're pretty much the exact same thing.
2: Did they ever say they were members of the CIA in the film? I was always under the impression that they were just scientists who discovered that, hey something we already knew oscorp bad
0: now i would agree but where did they get the funding for later the secret lab in the tunnel or really what was richard parker just worked at oscorp and then what he just decided to leave who paid for that ticket he paid for that plane ticket i guess like i'll bring it all back to that secret lab someone built that (laughs) the secret lab which we will get back to that thing was weird (laughs) And unnecessary, but everything happens in the sewers, and I'm sick of it. Nobody builds sewers that big. It's not how it works. So get away from it, Hollywood.
2: Get your mind out of the gutter.
0: So the Parker parents. Never really around for Peter, hence we get he's raised by Aunt May and the death of Uncle Ben.
2: He's raised by the death of Uncle Ben?
0: That's a, is a titular point in his character history is letting the burglar go by and shoot Uncle Ben, and now it's his fault. And forever, you raise up your image of the dead person you loved as someone who never did wrong, so you must never do wrong. We'll move to the second point, since I'm getting too far off topic. Electro. Electro, electro, electro. Or actually, did you have more on Mary and Richard
2: in the film? I just thought it was interesting how, after the death of Uncle Ben in the first one... It's basically just mentioned in passing as in this film as part of his motivations and whatnot. But basically his drive to find out what happened to his parents in this film took a bigger role than the death of Uncle Ben and avenging him and doing right and all that fun stuff. So saying different ways to get around with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> which they still actually haven't gotten around to saying, yes.
0: Good for them. Oh, Good yeah. for them. Yeah. Okay, so Electro, he is the main antagonist of the film for the majority of the film. Electro is Jamie Foxx, and he is this super nerd for Oscorp who is completely different than in the books. In the books, he's a total prick who is the best lineman they had in the 60s for electrical line repair. So they're like, Max, there's a guy hanging on the line. We need your help. You're the best guy we got. And Max like, it's off my shift pay me a hundred bucks and I'll do it. Ah, that guy doesn't have a chivalrous bone in his body. He's going to take that attitude to the grave. So as soon as somebody in the spectatorship says that Max gets hit by a lightning bolt while working with wires on a telephone wire and now has the ability to create and manipulate electricity because getting struck by lightning is the second most popular way to get a superpower because science right behind nuclear radiation. He's one of Spider-Man's earliest villains, came around in Amazing Spider-Man number nine in 1963. So pretty close to the birth of the character in general. Suddenly he has to, the world has wronged him or he's just got this power and power corrupts. So now he goes and robs banks. And that is Electro's main thing. Spider-Man stops him from robbing banks and now he hates Spider-Man. A.K.A. Cliche, cliche. Movies completely different.
2: Yes, indeed. Well, the thing is, when Electro was first announced as the main villain, there was some kind of lead up to it that people were assuming with the post-credit scene in Amazing Spider-Man 1. But the first impression I got was, like, why Electro? That's never been a character that's been known for his abundance of depth or, like, storylines where he did something notable. He's mostly just been a member of the Sinister Six like you said, robbed banks, not a whole lot going on behind the scenes. No real personal attachment to Spider-Man. No deep, deep goal. Going back to the no personal attachment. I actually like that because up until this point, the Raimi movies and even amazing Spider-Man one have like really tried to get villains to have an emotional attachment to both Peter and Spider-Man and sometimes it's warranted. Sometimes it's really forced. So I had this whole idea that you don't really need a villain with attachments to both people to make it work. Was I right? I don't know. We'll see about that. But I was going to say,
0: are you sure that that forced attachment they had when Max Dillon was saved by Spider-Man <laughs> and it just furthered his obsession?
2: The point I was trying to make, both Peter and Spider-Man. like, Oh, he never talked to Peter Parker? No. Talks to Gwen Stacy but who is so indirectly talked to Peter Parker. Oh. But anyway, it's like a web or something. Oh, stop. Oh god. <sighs> anyway, uh, Electro in the film, he's been largely compared to Jim Carrey's Riddler in Batman Forever and that he yes, that. <laughs> but you
0: didn't know I was I was licking my hand and swiping my hair back cuz <laughs> that's what nerds
2: did all the time. Let's not forget the the buck teeth that magically get fixed with electricity somehow, but... Everybody needs a bow tie, too. Oh, yes. when They just wouldn't be complete without it. But how they went about the character here is that, like you said, he's pretty much a super nerd. He's got a raging inferiority complex and that he thinks nobody can see him or he's invisible i'm a nobody actual lines from the movie he strikes up a very creepy obsession with spider-man in that shrine creepy yes nobody
0: should have a shrine of anything unless you're 12 yes then go go all out because in three years you're gonna hate yourself for making that shrine
2: The shrine is a little creepy. As we see in deleted scenes from the movie, he's got a very overbearing mother that... <laughs> yeah, the mother was cut out of the film. Why do you think that is? Because uh, it was awful. It was really dumb,
0: yes. It, well, yeah. I but, really enjoy how they try and bring out the fact that Max Dillon is more than likely a psychopath.
2: Pretty much. One thing I did appreciate is that they would do like the cutaways where he's like screaming at people and getting all in their faces, but it's not actually real. I thought that was actually a kind of neat way if they had utilized it better it would have come across I think in the character's overall arc but and let's not forget it's his birthday and no one remembered his birthday
0: that's a big thing it is that's a really cliche overlap To just bring us into the character, because nobody wants their birthday to be forgotten. No. So now we all feel for Max Dillon and the sorrow he must be
2: going through. After all, it's his birthday. Time to light his candles.
0: Who would remember his birthday?
2: Really? Seriously. Were you expecting people
0: to just... You gotta gotta make friends to get friends. You gotta put yourself out there, Max. And he kind of did with Gwen, so good for him. Good for him, indeed. Until he suddenly dropped into a vat pool of eels. Not a power line, so a little bit more
2: realistic. That's actually a, a storyline they used in the uh, the spectacular Spider-Man animated series. Where they used the whole electric eels, Bi- modified. Bio-engineered eels. Yeah, something like that.
0: Put a lid on your like <laughs> things, people. Supervillains are being made simply because of company negligence on safety protocols. Sandman, he fell into, what, a pit that they were just doing in the night? Electro, he fell into a vat of uh, bioelectric eels? The lizard? Oh, that was just him being a jerk. Yeah,
2: Gravity is the biggest villain of all. Uh,
0: Doc Ock pushing things forward on his timetable when he really should be testing out his things before they explode in his face. Come on. Safety protocols are there for a reason. (laughs) Don't become a supervillain. That's our new tagline. Safety first,
2: supervillain later. I'd like to see that on the walls of Oscorp. (laughs) Just Oscorp's PR and human research department working together. No more supervillains, people. Anyway, and then he gets his electric powers and leads up to a confrontation with Spider-Man in Times Square, where he gets set off because people saw him and then they saw Spider-Man, and he just goes full psycho and becomes a supervillain. The end. Yeah, yeah. Electro doesn't really have any motives.
0: And he has this serious two dimensionalness of just being crazy and sort of, I'd say, lazy on a writer's part. I really like, I think villains in modern cinema need to have depth now. At least comic book villains need to have depth because you're not really pushing anything any conflict in the character's life, in Spider-Man's life anymore, so you have to push some sort of conflict between the two, some conflicting ideologies. But it's just a fight fest. It's just them throwing punches, or in this
2: case, lightning bolts and webbing. There's also the problem that the character, after about an hour, hour and 20 minutes of the movie, disappears for a big chunk, so it's not like we're getting any development or character intrigue there. Well, he goes into prison. He does. He just hi- he just hangs
0: out in the prison. No, no, it's boring over there.
2: It's fine. Yeah. It's boring over there with ridiculously overwrought German doctor.
0: Yeah, and they specifically had a cell for him ready to go.
2: How convenient is
0: that? Yeah, like, oh man. That... It's almost like a lab in the sewers. They, I think they actually set up the birth of Electro, now that I think about it. Oscorp set it up. And then they, they're they working with Ravencroft Prison so that if we can't control this new... Because they solved the energy crisis. Electro pulls electricity out of thin air. He becomes a human conductor. He literally could power so many things just by willing it. Also, can we talk about the limitations of Electro's powers and what the hell are they? Because I thought it was just like he could manipulate electricity to sort of fly and also shoot lightning at people, which I'm pretty okay with. But then it develops
2: into he's no longer substantial? Your guess is as good as mine. I just want to know where he gets that awesome gimp suit. Like, I'm pretty sure there's a Ravencroft employee that's just walking around with, you know, the big rubber suit that he just kind of stole. And somehow it re-pulls itself together, after he discombobulates and all yeah, that stuff
0: yeah he can completely turn himself into abstract electricity and move through wires and take over Times square and then materialize at the same time materialize all of his clothes on him as well i don't like it that's too far that's too far in a villain's repertoire but eventually he overloads and he's done after a pinball schlockfest. fest
2: Yes. A lot of the prob- the physics problems with Electro are pretty much the same ones I had with Sandman. It's like, uh, how, how does he close that thing? Why, why are the clothes? Okay, never mind.
0: I suppose. Yeah. So it was as ridiculous as it was back then in the 1960s when he was first introduced. There's a wonderful instance we have of James Kakalios, renowned author of The Physics of Superheroes, who does world lectures on superheroes and physics describing to us a scene from one of Electro's very first encounters with spider man in the comic in the 1960s where he's shooting lightning bolts at Spider-Man and Spider-Man is deflecting the lightning bolts by throwing metal objects above them so that the lightning bolts become attracted to those metal objects. And we're gonna learn how that makes absolutely no sense. Here's Kikalios talking at Gustavus Adolphus College in November 2014 at one of his famous superhero physics lectures.
1: He's deflecting one of the lightning bolts by tossing some bowl bearings in the air, and now he's deflecting another lightning bolt by tossing a metal chair overhead. And Spider Man says, Anyone with any knowledge of science knows that anything metal can act like a lightning rod, as this steel chair is doing. Well, actually, anyone with any knowledge of science knows that this is true if the chair were grounded and there was some place for the electricity to go you put a lightning rod on your roof and if you don't connect it to a cable that goes down to the ground you have just come up with a better way to set your roof on fire (laughs) water goes from the faucet to the drain because of gravity it's not attracted to drains. <laughs> it's not as if you put a drain on the ceiling and the one goes, there's a drain! <laughs> there's no, gravity's now, forget gravity, I'm, there's a drain, I'm going for it! <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't work that way. It gets even worse, the next time he fights Electro in A Baby Spider-Man, Angle Number One, he deliberately drowns himself. <laughs> myself. I'm able to take the full effect of it thanks to the addition of my spider strength. A spider strength helps, but really, don't do this!
0: (laughs) We have more from James Kakelios later because I managed to sit through his whole lecture at Gustavus because it was phenomenal. And there's many of wonderful nuggets of wisdom he described in the Q&A. And that happened to be one of his main topics was the form of electricity and comic books' ability to get it right as well as comic books' ability to get it very, very wrong. But let's move on to the next big topic, and that would be the Green Goblin.
2: Hmm. Great character. I'll be right out there and say that I don't really care for his portrayal in the, f- the original Spider-Man movie. This is very different, very better. Oh, I don't know, but <laughs> basically, basically what I had said in talking with people about this character in particular after leaving the theater, it's like, well, they're getting there at least sound like you want to vomit because you're
0: thinking about how poorly they repeated the green goblin transformation process instead of being a serum that makes you go insane, which at least we can acquiesce to it's a goblin genetic disease. What the hell even is
2: that? Help me out here. I I'm still not clear on here's what I think happened. He's got the goblin disease from some made up bullshit that the writers came up with. And then when he takes the spider venom, it just exacerbates it and pushes it along. And then he suddenly gets better. The healing suit is how he suddenly gets better. But it's like, you you know, it's some. Yeah, it's again, another casualty of not having enough time to explain for one character as opposed to juggling three or four. Oh,
0: yeah. He just comes out of nowhere and he's like Peter's old best friend.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah. No. Exactly. It, it, does like, it feel like Dane DeHaan can only play a slime ball? A little bit, but I enjoy the fact that he's a good slime ball for the most, the majority of the movie. I think the
0: novelty of it has worn off. Mm. I was really into it in Chronicle, and now I'm not. I just kind of like, Dane DeHaan, go do something else, or we should have not just had Goblin here at all. Because... He shows up for like three minutes at the very end after you think it's all over because it really felt like it was all over after they got rid of Electro. And it brings us into the
2: next point of topic, the death of Gwen Stacy. Here's the thing. The Green Goblin is in this movie just so they can have bragging rights to say they did the death of Gwen Stacy, however different it may be. It's like early on in the process, they brought the screenwriters together and said, okay, We need to have the death of Gwen Stacy, we need to have the Green Goblin, find out how to make this work.
0: Dumb, dumb, dumb. We'll talk about the death of Gwen Stacy, though. In the comic books, happened in the 1970s, it is a huge moment in comic books because it is the first time a bystander that has any connection to the main character, to the superhero, dies. And that's huge because it's someone who is not responsible for anything taking the consequences of the superhero, and that becomes a really big pull point. But at the same time, it's even bigger because she has stayed dead. (laughs) Most of the time, superheroes die, and then they get better. Gwen Stacy has not gotten better. She has never come back in official form, perhaps in a supervillain nefarious plot, but it always turns out to be a robot or a clone. So now Gwen Stacy is this martyrous character, adds on to the Uncle Ben death, as well and Spider-Man's overbearing amount of responsibility but it's actually if you read Amazing Spider-Man 121 where she dies it's almost heartbreaking a little bit because it doesn't seem like she dies the way they write it because Spider-Man it sounds like everything like he saved at the nick of time Thwip got her oh good good thing I grabbed you Gwen that was a close one Gwen I, I saved you
2: I saved you Gwen I st- I
0: st-
1: Goblin!
2: <laughs> <laughs> to counter that it would be surprising if the cover of the issue wasn't like someone in spider-man's life is going to die
0: yeah well you gotta sell comics somehow don't you exactly but they, they didn't make it obvious when the death happened it sounded like he saved her it's just how it how it rolled like he caught her and he's gonna pull her up Little did we know, the whiplash killed her. And if you're wondering, there is that long, long lasted open question on what killed her, because Goblin comes up and taunts him <laughs> Spider Man, you fool! Anyone knows that the fall from that distance, she died before she even was caught by you, not the whiplash from your webbing.
2: <laughs>
0: Which makes no sense.
2: No, it's again an instance of science, but not really. <laughs>
0: which killed her the fall or the catch it was the catch it,
2: yeah the film it's not the same lead up i would say um obviously you have discrepancies in who the goblin is this time where it takes place comic books happens on a bridge we saw in a callback to it in the original 2002 spider-man this time it takes place in a clock tower because obvious time metaphor people No,
0: you're going to have to explain that to me. Also, explain why a clock tower is at a power plant.
2: Because they paid the money to make a clock tower, and by God, they're going to have a clock tower fight. That's why. (sighs) Okay. Okay. You got me there. You pay it, you do it. Exactly. And probably the biggest difference is it's pretty obvious what kills her this time. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's not it's not the whiplash, it's more the it smack whiplash. It's more the smacking her head on the cement. Oh, I thought it was I, I
0: read I didn't see that part. I saw it as her back breaking from being caught by one
2: strand of webbing and her back snapped because of the pressure being pulled. Well, the thing is, comics, she was falling face down, he got her by the foot. And that could have... And that know.
0: caused the whiplash for her neck to snap.
2: Yep. This time, he branches it out, like, all over her torso, so it's a little more of a a good catch, I would say. It disperses... <laughs> good catch, Spider-Man. It disperses the energy. No, bad catch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A little too late catch. It's just in that... There was, there was, a was split second where her was, head slammed the ground. Yep, her head slammed the ground at the end, and that... And despite her fact... The no, fact that her no head wound? Yeah. I, this... did,
0: that, I think that's what it did. I was like, I thought it was the back breaking
2: because I didn't see a head wound. Yeah. Despite the fact that her head didn't turn into just a broken melon in yeah. that instance. No, it's that's always what I took it as. The people have been like, oh my God, did her head hit the ground? And I think that's what they were going for, which, okay. In which case, it's also very guiltful in that. He was just a split second too late. So
0: hmm And so then we see him be somber for what was it, seven months? Oh, at least. Seven seven months, uh summarized in about seven seconds. Montage. Yeah. Montage uh, is a beautiful yeah, I thing. I feel like I was walking watching Rocky three and Apollo Creed just died, and Rocky's driving and drinking. Spoilers. <laughs> oh come on <laughs> movie's forty years old. Yeah, no. Driving, drinking, and there's a montage of his grief of the death of Apollo Creed. We, no, that was Rocky Four. I apologize, everybody. I apologize. Apollo Creed did not die in Rocky Three. Moving on. Spider-Man is in super grief mode, and to get
2: out of it, he needs to fight villains again. Not quite to that extent. There is the scene with Aunt May near the end where she's like, for a while there with your uncle's death, things were really bad. And then I just was like... I'm not going to let this go, but I'm just going to pack it somewhere where it belongs. So Aunt May just pulls a Houdini and is like... The opposite he, of Frozen's message? Pretty much. Don't let it go. Don't just, let it go. Just keep it inside. Keep
0: it in. Yep. Always conceal. What was the What was the thing that her parents always said? Conceal, don't feel. Conceal, don't feel.
2: <laughs> don't let them know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, that's what Spider-Man 2 is. It was an answer to Frozen. And how Concealed Don't Feel is the better practice. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So Um. then you see this nice scene where they spend a whole lot of money on Rhino's final suit, where Mm. he gets a mechanical suit out of nowhere.
2: Out of Oscorp, yeah.
0: Out of Oscorp. Yes, we can talk about the Oscorp scene of the the Hall of Spinoffs.
2: Oh, yes. Basically, the last, mm, let's say, 10 minutes is just... Dane DeHaan Setup. being like get ready for sinister six. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's a good impression of Dane DeHaan in this role. Yeah, it's, pretty. Much. Look, vulture's wings. Look, Doc Ock's thing. And and and
2: Venom somewhere probably. He, he was maybe Chris Cooper's severed head is somewhere around here that we digitally <laughs> edited out. <laughs> Yes, that is the
0: Hall of Foreshadows. Yes. The whole film actually just felt like a setup for Sinister Six. It is.
2: It really is. (laughs) I mean, if they had a compelling main story, like if they had played with the the Gwen Stacy thing, not made it obvious, made that the main thing, I would have been like, no, this was a movie about Spider-Man finding out the consequences of being a hero. But they didn't. Okay.
0: I think that sums up the death of Gwen Stacy. Let's talk real quick about the Aunt May subplot.
2: The one where she becomes a nurse?
0: Yes. And first of all, Aunt May is very doting in the book, and it isn't until recently that she suddenly is a very proactive adult. Most of the time, Aunt May is too old to do anything at all and is just a conflict point for Peter. Peter one time sacrifices his marriage... In a literal sense, not figurative, he sacrifices his marriage to the devil to bring Aunt May back to life.
2: I feel like just in the original run, it's like every 10 issues, oh, damn, Aunt May is sick again. Is Spider-Man going to be at the side of her bed? I don't think so.
0: That's literally what was happening in the death of Gwen Stacy. Aunt May was sick, along with Harry, who was also sick, and Norman was going insane and finally putting it together that he's Spider-Man and I'm going to go kill Gwen Stacy now. And so, okay, I guess we don't need to talk about Aunt May's Sorry, because it had nothing to do with the film.
2: No, but I do appreciate that they're going for the more progressive, proactive interpretation of Aunt May as opposed just... Just because you're old doesn't mean you can't do anything. Exactly. And Rhino? Do we want to touch on Rhino? <sighs> okay, here's what I know about Rhino in the film. You watch the special features on ASM2. Basically, Paul Giamatti was like, I just want to make this person as inhuman and animalistic as possible, which translated to him making him a complete cartoon. And it shows. Uh, yeah, pretty blatantly. Maybe Mark Webb should have said, um, no, but... <laughs> Reel it back, Giamatti. Just a little bit. Reel it back. But in
0: there... In the books, it's really not a whole different. He's a bumbling idiot in a rhino suit and really should
2: have been one of those characters that never make it to film. Pretty much. But here's the thing. I think that falls in line with the whole aesthetic they were trying to do with Amazing Spider-Man 2, which you look back at Amazing Spider-Man, it was very grounded, gritty looking. It took the quote unquote Nolan approach. This they go back to kind of the colorful, poppy Avengers original Spider-Man look and feel to it. And I think someone was like, oh, yeah, that'll just fit right into this world. Someone's taking a Joel Schumacher turn. We're about to see the no. Batman
0: Forever of Spider-Man movies. No, no, I'm not going that far. <laughs> I think this was the Batman Forever of Spider-Man movies. <sighs> it was not the Batman and Robin, but I think it was the Batman Forever. I'll say it was the Batman. <sighs> no, that's a classic, yo. Don't even. Doesn't mean it's Mr. Good. Mom was the best Batman. Ooh, <laughs> fighting words. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> So let's move on to the... Just some basic talking points about interesting things that don't deal with us just doling out opinions on the film. (laughs) Because we're on two separate spectrums, which causes great, great talks. Oh, yes. But anyway, let's talk about that deleted scene where his dead dad shows up at Gwen Stacy's funeral. Peter's dead dad shows up at Gwen Stacy's funeral.
2: Where do you think it was going? That scene is... It's almost... It feels like something that came out of the first movie in that it wasn't. It was really long, uncut, very dramatic, all that fun stuff. It just falls in line, really, with most of the deleted scenes for these two movies in that I feel like the approach they're taking is they're shooting everything they possibly could. That was an avenue maybe they wanted to take, but. That's a very uneconomical approach, Mark Webb figure it out side note I don't blame Mark Webb for anything in this movie I think Sony (laughs) is just breathing down his neck Sony is just not giving a damn about artistic integrity (laughs) Sony will clench the life out of Spider-Man keep making movies regardless of whether they're good or not because they're so desperate for that Spider-Man money that I don't see the character going back to Marvel anytime soon Well,
0: let's say that you know
2: real high speculation
0: here Sony goes bankrupt they have to sell back and then Marvel would buy back for the movie Spider-Man rights. Mm-hmm. Then we would see we would see suddenly Spider-Man thrown into the Marvel universe just out of nowhere. Kevin Feige would hash something up, you think? Or do you think they would just kind of sit on it or they would put it in television? Where do you, where do you think Spider-Man would go? Say it reverts back to
2: Marvel. I think the most optimistic thing we can look forward to is if the Spider-Man movies continue to underperform like this one did and Sony actually starts losing money we could see a deal cut between Marvel and Sony to you know lend the character out for certain movies TV cuz that's never going to happen cuz Marvel already has the TV rights for Spider-Man as animation live screen it's just the film that uh, that's never going to happen because you're
0: giving them permission to attempt a rebrand on your character and no company is going to take that risk you have there have to be certain guidelines that have to be met if you lend out a property to someone else so that they don't change the property in any way and
2: nobody wants to deal with that oh yeah I'm not saying that the deal is gonna happen overnight this is gonna be like months worth of talk and whatnot and it, you know there's always gonna be the chance that it's gonna break down at any moment but mm-hmm. so you're saying that
0: we'll bring it right back real quick that the 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 rebirth of richard parker had nothing had no there was no other plot it was going in it just felt like something they were gonna film and maybe think about doing something with later <laughs> yeah well wonderful wonderful what is the next Spider-Man movie to come out?
2: Uh, next Spider-Man movie coming out, I believe, is the spinoff of Spider-Man called The Sinister Six, which they so diligently set up at the end of this movie. That's set for November 2016. They also announced that Amazing Spider-Man 3 has, is coming out at some point in 2018. They put They switched it up between... Sinister 6 and Amazing Spider-Man 3. So, I see here in
0: between in 2017 we're going to get a female-led Spider-Man film. Okay. Is that Black
2: Cat? Is that Felicity Jones getting a title role? I think that's the best option they have right now as far as kind of sort of maybe set something up in this movie as well. How about that, you know, another plot line they foreshadow. We totally haven't even looked at talked about Felicia Hardy. Oh, no, not at all. And just being what, Harry's assistant pretty much and a
0: strong character supposedly yeah. yes yes just like the veilness of strong yeah without real any depth at all
2: oh man she has four lines in the movie she says them really sternly yeah and now she's gonna get her own film good job felicity <laughs> way to go felicity jones showing up for maybe a day's work and getting your own movie and we're gonna get venom
0: after sinister six the,
2: yeah the supposed title is venom carnage Venom slash Carnage, if you will. Gee, I wonder what that movie's gonna be about. But That's also coming in twenty th- seventeen? Along the... with Sinister Six?
0: Uh Sinister Six is twenty sixteen. Sorry. No. no er, what? No. We have Yes, you're right. Twenty sixteen is Sinister Six. <laughs> The female, which we... Th- we're, it just says female lead. They didn't say black cat, but we can't think of any other female-led character in the movie unless you're going to do a Mary Jane rom-com with Spider-Man, which has been done in a novel. Oh, I'd pay to see that. Oh, shut up. You definitely would. Yeah. But in the same year, we have this female-led, allegedly black cat, as well as this Venom carnage, which are two separate characters. We have Venom, Eddie Brock... Or possibly Harry Osborn, depending on which comic book universe you're looking at. And we have Carnage, who is a psychopath named Cletus Cassidy.
2: That is not for the lighthearted. That dude's a serial killer. And suddenly he has superpowers. Yeah, from my best memory, the whole Carnage storyline in the comics was uh, not not for light fare. Not at all. But we're going to see those in
0: the same year, uh, assuming they start releasing days. And then Amazing Spider-Man 3. And then Amazing Spider-Man 4, or depending on how well the other two, three movies do, we're going to see a spinoff of either Sinister
2: Six sequel, Black Cat sequel, Venom sequel, before Spider-Man 4? Supposedly. Uh, the thing is, just from what I've been reading, this movie and its underperformance just threw everything into flux. It's what caused them to mix their schedule up. It's what caused them to push Amazing Spider-Man 3 years down the line and last i read um venom carnage might be in a little bit of trouble because it's being i believe written and directed by alex kurtzman who is one of the writers quote unquote on this film and he is currently busy doing this universal monsters universe spinoff he's headlining that one everybody wants a shared universe they do and (laughs) whether they need one or not it I makes don't. well. It's been the
0: most profitable venture so far because Marvel is able to constantly pump out top three summer films as long as they're in a shared universe. Slash, the Marvel brand is just
2: a reliable action film to go to. True, but the quality on each universe kind of varies. So yeah, future of Spider-Man's kind of in flux. We do know that Sinister Six is coming out 2016. No casting or supposed- no confirmation. Like Dane DeHaan return. Um, Jamie Foxx return. Dane DeHaan has mentioned that he'll be back, so that's like the one person we know who's coming back. Other than that, I believe Drew Goddard is attached to write and direct. Drew Goddard is the director of Cabin in the Woods. He was Ooh. P- previously... He's a weed knight. He is, very much so. He And he was previously... Going to be the showrunner for Marvel's Daredevil series on Netflix. Oh, but he dropped out to do Sinister Six.
0: A feature film instead?
2: Yeah. Good for him. Yeah, pretty much.
0: You have a lot more freedom in feature film directing than
2: you do in TV directing. Oh, absolutely. And the guy deserves a big hit, just if you've seen his work. it has got a nice little track record. Oh, yes,
0: indeed. So we have one final topic, and that is the complete absence of of Mary Jane Watson from The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Originally, she was going to be in it. Shailene Woodley was signed on. There were scenes. There were leaked screenshots of them and Emma Stone like on the same screen talking to each other. Mary Jane and Emma Stone or Mary Jane and Gwen Stacy. My God. And that just went away?
2: Yeah. Okay, so filming for Amazing Spider-Man 2 took place pretty much throughout... 2013 they had cast Mary Jane they shot scenes with them then around the end of that year the execs at Sony were like yeah we basically cut all Mary Jane scenes out of this film because somehow a lightning bolt of sense came down to them and that their reasoning was maybe there's too much going on in this movie maybe we <laughs> just want to focus on Peter and Gwen which is like if I hadn't seen the finished product I might have thought you knew what you were doing yeah
0: okay Absolutely, It would be another ad addition to the Convolution that was
2: this film. Yeah, so good move there. But now the question is whether Shailene Woodley will return for future Spider-Man movies or not. She's, she signed a contract at she, all or even? No, pretty much. She's busy with that Divergent series. She's,
0: Divergent have more than one book even? Got oh, three,
2: Three, which oh, means boy. that there'll be four movies. There'll <laughs> be four movies. You're absolutely right. Yeah. She, in the interviews, she's pretty much been like, Yeah, I don't think I'll be back, so. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, whatever. Whatever.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't think we were heavily invested in Mary Jane yet. Maybe Kristen Dunst will come back. Oh. (laughs)
2: God. (laughs) I just puked in my mouth.
0: Oh, come on. We'll get to that topic later on Uh our opinions on Kristen Dunst acting.
2: Okay. There's certainly plenty to talk about. Do you remember Rotten Tomatoes' percentage of this film? 53%. So it's basically the biggest 50-50 split you can get. Okay. And what would you give this film, percentage-wise? Well, despite the fact that it's a mess, I still think there's a lot of fun to have with it, so I I gave it a 7. A 70? 70 out of 100, yes. Okay. I'll
0: give it a 35. Well... I'll have half of your opinion. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I think I think that's how I measure up right now. Half okay. of your opinion. I see. Well, that's going to wrap it up today. This was the Superhero Movie Club recorded in the studios of KMSU in Mankato, Minnesota. Next time, we're going to be playing to the tune of X-Men Days of Future Past. So get your Wolverine hats on and start traveling through people's bodies, through their minds. That's going to do it today. I'm Michael Mauer. I'm James Skyler-Houdsma. And I hope you guys all have a super week. When
2: life leaves you high and dry, I'll be at your door tonight if you need help. If you need help, I'll shut down the city lights. I'll lie, cheat, I'll beg and bribe to make you well. To make you well. Give me reasons to believe that you would do the same for me. And I'll do it for you for you Maybe I'm not moving on I love you long after you're gone for you for you
1: You will never sleep alone I love you long after you go and long after you're gone, gone.